0: This is the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Mark. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him. Spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and he will rise after three days. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, And those in high positions act as tyrants over them, but it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many.
1: Amen. Thank you. Sarah. Hi church, my name is Jason, I'm one of the pastors here at South Bible Church, and it's my honor to talk with you today about leadership, renewed leadership, and I promise we are going to connect it to Palm Sunday, very joyous uh, day as we are beginning Easter week, um, but when we think about leadership... Um, you probably have certain people that come to mind, certain people in your life that have either been good or bad leaders. I want us to try to focus on the good today. So uh, think back to the people that, that uh, were good leaders in your life. Maybe it was a coach or a teacher or a parent or a pastor or a friend or a boss. Uh, for me, I think of a few people that were at different formative Points in my life, uh, in um, in middle school, I had a football coach, and Coach Farrell, that uh, was very influential in my life as a believer. Uh, he employed me cutting grass during the summer months, and uh, and on those drives to uh, to the houses to cut grass, he would talk to me about following Jesus and about living a, a life as a strong man and what that meant. I had a, uh, a volunteer youth worker uh, in high school named Patsy. She was a doctor. She didn't have any kids of her own, but uh, she poured her life into the students in our church and really made a big impact on my life. Uh, in the first church I served in ministry, there was a, uh, one of our pastors named Dr. Danley. Uh, pastoring was his second career. He was in education before Ran a school system before that, but then he gave his life to uh, to serving the local church in his later years. And he took me under his wing, taught me some things about what it meant to be a pastor and care for people. And I bet you have leaders just like that in your life. You can look back and say they they touched my life. I wouldn't be the same if not for them. But today, I want us to think a little bit about what qualities we expect from those kinds of leaders. Instead of just the ambiguous, you know, good feelings, let's drill down and let's talk about what is renewed leadership. But first, before we get to what is renewed leadership, we need to know what is leadership. And I guarantee you, if you decide you're going to read some books on leadership, you will be very busy. There are a ton (laughs) of books. In fact, I'm going to quote John Maxwell in a minute. He's probably written half the books on leadership (laughs) that's out there. So, um, what is leadership? Well, you might be thinking that about certain qualities authority, ruling, decision making, vision casting, direction setting like, all that's part of leadership in different ways. But uh, John Maxwell boils it down and he says leadership is influence. He says uh, leadership is not about titles, positions, or flowcharts, it is about one life influencing another and Aubrey Malfur says the same thing influence is the key word in any definition of leadership all of a sudden leadership just got really approachable if we're talking about leadership is influencing another person then it, all of a sudden we all become potential leaders so I want us to think along those lines uh, by asking this question, why is leadership important? Why are we dedicating a Sunday of the Renewal series to talk about leadership? Why is it important for our lives? Why is it important for our church? Well, on the personal level, every one of us are followers. Hopefully, we all are following Jesus, first of all, but secondly, we all have people in our lives that we follow, whether it's in our, personal, our home life or our professional life or just in friendships we follow others, but we need to, therefore, we need to be asking who will I follow? Who will I allow to influence my life? If leadership is influence, that means that the people I follow are going to affect my life. And we need to think critically about that. Uh, someone uh, once said that uh, leadership is a behavior that everyone can exercise. Therefore, on the personal level, we don't only ask, Who am I following? We need to ask, who am I leading? If leadership is something that I can can exercise, it's an action to exercise, uh, we need to think critically. How can I influence those around me for good? And including, this is an aspect of leadership that I found very interesting. We're not limited on our influence by hierarchy. There's this principle called leading up. That you have influence on the people even above you in a hierarchical structure, say at work or in the military. And so we need to be thinking critically, how can I be a a leader of influence on those around me? But now, what about organizationally? Why is leadership important for our church? Again, looking to John Maxwell, if you want to hear an overstatement, (laughs) everything rises and falls on leadership. Well, Okay, we'll give him that maybe in the corporate world or something, but uh, we don't have as strong a sense in the church unless we were to say following Christ, Christ's leadership. Yes, everything rises and falls on our submission to Christ's leadership. But still, it's important because we know this. Leadership is important because we know that a very effective leader with a bad heart can do great harm. And we need to be aware of that. We also know that uh, someone with a good heart but is an ineffective leader can then cause stagnation, missed opportunities, or a lack of growth. And so what we are seeking then is for our church and our personal lives, renewed leadership. A renewed leader can be used by God to do much good, and to advance God's kingdom. So... I want us to uh, think a little bit less of the practical. In other words, we're not going to go through John Maxwell's 21 steps to whatever he says, great leadership or whatever. No, we're going to look at four aspects of the heart of leadership, of renewed leadership from the Bible's perspective, specifically through the life of Christ. And um, I want us to be thinking, what kind of leader do I want to follow? What kind of leaders does our church need? And what kind of leader do I want to be? And so, if you'll pray with me, we'll dive into that. Our Heavenly Father, uh, God, thank you for this gathering of your people as we sing your praises and have your scripture read over us. And remember that glorious, triumphant day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem uh, as the Messiah. We also... Uh, look to him as our perfect leader and as the example and teacher uh, that we want to follow as we exercise leadership. So would you teach us, instruct us, and make us uh, malleable in your hands? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want us to think about four aspects of what renewed leadership would look like. And we're diving, we're, we're aiming at the heart. So first of all, Renewed leadership would be sanctified leadership. Now, I know it's a little churchy, but I had to have four S words, so come on. That, it's got to be, yeah, all right, so sanctified leadership. This means set apart for God. That's what sanctified means. It is set apart for God. And this really is a great way to think about something that separates general leadership from biblical renewed leadership. And this is what I mean. Uh, Sanctified leadership is not serving the purposes of the world or even the purposes of the leader, but primarily the the leader is going to understand and work for the purposes of God. So this is where the, the leader is saying, why am I leading? Am I going to lead in a way that honors God for God's purposes, to accomplish what God wants? Uh, that is at the heart of sanctified leadership. You, 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 know, you probably know the verse, 1 Corinthians 10.31, that says, uh, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Well, I, I would, we could change to this. Whether you lead or follow, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. So this is at the heart of renewed leadership, that it's not serving my purposes, not even serving the expressed purposes of the group, but ultimately serving God's purpose. Jesus really exemplified this. A few days before the triumphal entry, Jesus uh, had an opportunity to choose between his own desires and the desires of his close followers and the purposes of God. Jesus uh, and his disciples were out ministering, and they got word that Jesus' close friend Lazarus was on his deathbed. He was sick. And the scripture says that Jesus loved Lazarus very much. And his disciples began to put pressure on Jesus. Let's go to Lazarus. They knew Jesus could heal him. They knew Jesus had the power of God to heal Lazarus from his illness. And yet, feeling that, that, that personal desire to go and heal Lazarus, feeling the pressure of his, his uh, team. Yet, Jesus submitted to a higher purpose. In John 11, verse 4, Jesus says this, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And Jesus, therefore, waited. He delayed until Lazarus died because he was, Jesus was serving a higher purpose serving God's purpose. And we know, if you know the rest of the story, Jesus then went and got to display the glory of God through the power of the Son to raise Lazarus from the dead. One of the marks of the Messiah that would then lead to the triumphal entry. And so it all served God's purpose, but in the moment, it felt like Jesus was being a bad leader. So, sanctified leadership, looking to God's purposes first. With this, uh, this is expressed in... Al Mohler's book, The Conviction to Lead. And he says it this way. Whenever Christian leaders, excuse me, wherever Christian leaders serve, in the church or in the secular world, their leadership should be driven by distinctively Christian conviction. In other words, I serve for God's purposes first. Even in my secular work or other areas of leadership, I have one ultimate authority over me. Uh. We also see sanctified leadership not just in the purpose, but in how we go about leading. So, one thing leaders do is making goals. So, uh, sanctified leadership helps us to align our goals uh, by asking, What does God want? Either for me, for my family, for my organization, whatever the area of leadership is. What does God want? It's aligning goals. And if you've ever been part of uh, leadership, you know that there's a lot of talk about planning and goals and uh, strategic thinking and objectives. Well, what's the, what's the loudest voice in all of that? It should be God's voice. But also, strategic—excuse uh, me sanctified leadership would then evaluate methods. It's one thing to have a goal, but then you have to, know, you have to say, how are we going to achieve that goal? And that's part of a leader's job choosing methods. And sanctified leadership, leadership that serves God's purposes, is not just going to evaluate methods by effectiveness. That is important. But effectiveness and rightness. One of my uh, favorite TV shows is about a lawyer. He is a very effective lawyer. He gets things done, but he chooses unethical means. So we can't say good leadership is only effective. It has to also be effective in right ways, in effective, uh, effective and ethical or right means. Finally, and probably the most important aspect of sanctified leadership, is that the leader walks with the Lord and develops godly character. There's a, lot, a lot of leadership has to do with uh, outward actions and how you interact with people but there is a ton that it has to do with your character. Who you are on the inside. If we think about it, uh, leaders, leaders are entrusted with a lot of power, responsibility, sway, authority. And that must be grounded by the heart and character that rests in, in uh, God and godly character. From uh, Moving on from sanctified leadership then... I want us to think about renewed leadership is strong leadership. Now, this might be something that we would naturally think of when we think about a leader. They're going to be strong in some way. Uh, Strong does not necessarily mean charismatic. doesn't mean necessarily outgoing. It doesn't have to look a certain way. You can be a strong leader in many different uh, expressions of leadership, different personalities, different styles. But there are some aspects of strong leadership I think we can see in the scripture. Uh, Jesus gave us a a negative when he was talking to James and John. And he was giving them that correction of their their, uh, aspirations to authority and leadership. Uh, And Jesus gave them several corrections. One correction he said was, don't try to be a leader like the world. In other words... Strong leadership is not controlling or domineering, and Jesus said, ruling over your followers. So strong leadership can still exercise power, influence, and authority without being controlling, domineering, manipulative, or vindictive. And that, I think, sets apart strong biblical leadership from other approaches to leadership. Instead, strong leadership is going to lead by setting an example for others to follow. You, you probably have all heard that phrase, do as I say, not as I do. If that's the leader that's over you, uh, that is probably a recipe for disaster. We want strong biblical leaders who are going to say, yes, do as I say and as I do because my, my actions align with my beliefs, and my beliefs and convictions align with what I'm teaching and leading through my words. So leaders set an example. Strong leadership is also humble leadership. And I want to camp out here just for a minute, because uh, Jesus really, uh, he epitomized humble leadership. And when we think of uh, humble leadership, I think from the world's perspective, this would uh, be most counterintuitive. That uh, strong leadership will be humble leadership. But there is a strength here, and I want to get into that. Uh, Humble leadership is going to lean on the strengths of their team, the the ones around them. Uh, Humble leadership is going to take input and criticism. uh, Admit mistakes and own responsibility. That's humble leadership. Um, they're going to share credit and praise. So in other words, they are taking and owning the responsibility, but sharing and passing on praise and credit. Jesus said it this way. "Would you?" He's saying to James and John, would you be great? Would you be prime? Would you be first? Well, the road to that is through humility. And one aspect of humility... I think is uh, understanding meekness. Meekness uh, is uh, is very different than timidity. Timidity says uh, I have no power, I have no strength, I am helpless, I am weak. That's timidity. Meekness says I have strength, I am strong, I have power, and I control it and use it in the appropriate ways and times. That is meekness. Jesus was meek. He had all power. And he used it at the appropriate times in the appropriate ways. And that is an aspect of humility. Controlling your strengths to be used in appropriate and helpful ways. So uh, there, there are plenty of very gifted leaders who might bowl people over with their strengths. Um, because they haven't learned how to control them at the, and use them at the right times and the right ways. So how do we develop humility to be a strong leader? I would say that it comes from a right understanding of our relationship to God. That's what creates humility in us. Uh, In other words, we are not our own focus. The Lord is our focus. So Albert Moeller in uh, The Conviction to Lead, he's describing this creation of a right understanding of God and our relationship to him. By saying God is sovereign and we are his stewards. And this is the way he says, What does it really mean to affirm God's sovereignty as Christian leaders? It means that God rules over all space and time and history. It means that he created the world for his glory and directs the cosmos to his purpose. It means that no one can truly thwart his plans or frustrate his determination. It means that we are secure in the knowledge that God's sovereign purpose to redeem a people through the atonement accomplished by His Son will be fully realized. And it also means that human leaders, no matter their title, rank, or job description, are not really in charge. The bottom line is this. We are merely stewards, not lords, of all that is put into our trust. And I think this attitude, living this way, helps us become humble leaders which makes us strong leaders. But furthermore, strong leaders are going to make difficult decisions even when they are unpopular. I think that's that's key. Strong leaders are going to make the difficult decisions even when the result is unpopular. Let's think about the triumphal entry. Palm Sunday. Jesus had just finished fulfilling all the signs that would show that he is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah who would bring deliverance to Israel. And so as he was approaching Jerusalem and he sent his disciples to bring that colt and they threw their cloak on the colt and Jesus sat on that donkey and rode into Jerusalem, the people, thousands of people had come to Jerusalem for the Passover they'd come from all the regions around some from other countries and they'd come to celebrate the Passover there was excitement, there was festivity there was joy and celebration and there was anticipation of the one day that God would send their Messiah Deliverer and now news was spreading that that Messiah had been found he had, he had uh, performed the signs that would show that he is the Messiah so they rushed out to meet him And as they see their king riding into the capital city, Jerusalem, they begin to roll out the red carpet. That's what the palm branches are about. They're sweeping the road to make it nice and smooth. They're laying down their cloaks to cover a pothole or a rock that can't be moved out of the way. They're laying the palm fronds down to to smooth and make an even surface. They're waving them like, uh, like they are welcoming a king. And they're crying out, Hosanna. Which is our best understanding, the interpretation is, save us. And they're, they're calling him the son of David. He is a king in the line of David. And so here they are welcoming him into Jerusalem. And in their minds, he is about to take the throne, he is about to overthrow the oppression of of the Roman government. He is about to reestablish Israel as a nation and bring with it all the blessings and the glory of God's kingdom. And what was Jesus really doing? He was coming to bring deliverance. He was coming to bring God's kingdom. He was coming to set Israel free. But not in the moment that they were thinking and not in the way they were thinking. Jesus was headed to the cross. Now we understand this. Jesus had the power to do what they wanted in that moment. And he chose the unpopular but the needed action to lay down his life and go to the cross because he was a strong leader. He made the difficult decision, even was unpopular. And what Jamie already reminded us in our liturgy, just a few days later, the whole crowd had turned. He was now uh, the scorn of Israel. And so, one final thing, strong leadership then is going to have a vision for what is right. It, you, we've all seen tragic circumstances of a strong leader who has all the, the capability, the, the skills, the gifting to, to lead people, and yet they have no moral grounding. We get things like the Holocaust. We get things like uh, Jim Jones and that tragedy. People with... Power and authority and strength, but no moral integrity and fortitude. And so we must include that in strong leadership. Having a vision for what is right. Protecting the weaker. uh, Using power for good. That's strong leadership. Jesus framed his discussion of leadership specifically around this next idea. Servant leadership. Renewed leadership is servant leadership leadership. That means it's not focused on being served, but on serving others. Now, a leader can be served. Jesus didn't say, leaders, you must never be served. But the focus, the heart, the desire is not, I will become a leader so others will serve me. No, I serve others through leading. And so a leader then, to be a servant leader He cannot have an attitude that any work in the organization or any work uh, among the group is beneath them. We see Jesus living this out. When Jesus' disciples gathered for that last supper, do you remember what happened? They walk into the room and they all were shocked because there was Jesus, their, their rabbi they'd been following for three years. Uh, who had been displaying the powers of the creator God of the universe. And what did he do? He stripped off his garment. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He knelt down on the floor. He took a basin, and he removed their shoes and began washing the disciples' feet. And that might not seem like a terribly huge deal, but for them that was earth-shattering. This is something only servants did and and supposedly only the kind of the lower-ranking servants because it was it was a demeaning kind of terrible job to do. These guys walked everywhere they went. They had open-toed sandals. They had grime and mud and animal feces on their feet. And he, and probably hadn't had a pedicure in a while either. <laughs> and here was the Lord of Lords The Word of God kneeling down and washing their feet. He was showing them there's a way to lead. Well, we don't say, I am too good for that. But I will do what it takes to serve the good of others. That's what servant leadership is. Seeking the good and the growth of others. Now, here's something important, an important distinction here. Servant leadership does not seek to do everything for the followers. In other words, the leader doesn't have to run around doing everything so that the followers can just sit back and relax. That's not the point. The, the leader serves the higher purposes that benefit the followers that the followers cannot accomplish without the leader. In other words, we don't lose the word leader while emphasizing servant leadership. Here's here's go back to the foot washing thing. How many times did Jesus wash the disciples' feet? The one time. And it was not about Jesus taking on a new role. I'm going to be the group's foot washer. No. He was teaching a lesson. He was teaching servant leadership. He said, go and do likewise. And yeah, it's fine, groups want to practice foot washing, but that's not the point. The point is, the leader doesn't have to do everything for the group, but he has to do the things that serve the group, that benefit the group, that further the group, that leads to growth. Servant leadership also works as hard or harder than uh, others are expected to work. Again, kind of getting back to that example idea, that's Servant leadership. Finally, also servant leadership is pressing into the difficult parts of leadership for the good of the people, the good of the organization. Some people might have the wrong idea that leadership is all upsides. Like leadership is all benefits, all good, all the time, all enjoyment. Unfortunately, leadership has a lot of aspects that are unpleasant, that are difficult, that the leader doesn't want to do. So a servant leader presses in to those difficult parts of leadership if it's for the good of the people and the organization. In other words, there are things the leader doesn't like to do, but they need to be done. The leader's the only one that can do them, and so the leader does them. There are conversations that need to to be had. The leader would rather not have those conversations, but it's for the good of the organization or the people. The leader has them. Uh, One of our church members was telling me recently... That uh, in their work, uh, they oversee lots of people. They, had, they were told to, to uh, have a hard conversation and let someone go. It wasn't fun, but because of the role, they had to go and do that. They pre- servant leaders press into the difficult parts. They go beyond themselves for the good of the people. That's servant leadership. Finally, and, and connected to servant leadership... Is sacrificial leadership. Renewed leadership is sacrificial leadership. In other words, uh, Jesus said that the way we lead uh, costs the leader. And I think that's, it's important that we don't overlook that. First of all, we're instructing the Scriptures not to be ambitious or greedy for gain as leaders of God's people. And this brings with it a certain amount of selflessness. Uh, that leaders, that specifically leaders of God's people, do not have self as the highest priority in calculations. Believe me, leaders have to do a lot of calculations, and if self keeps ri- keeps rising to the top, that is the opposite of sacrificial leadership. Sacrificial leaders are willing to take the loss for the good of others and the organization. Um, an example of this. Do you remember a guy named Dan Price several years ago, Seattle businessman, made national headlines that he uh, cut his $1 million salary uh, and was paying all of his employees like what he, they determined to be a healthy living wage, and uh, at least for a time was very successful. I don't know how it turned out. But that's an example. <laughs> they, they might be in the gutter now. who knows) But, but, but that's an example of a sacrificial leader who could have said, I am worth this $1 million. I will be paid this regardless, even as the company was suffering. But a sacrificial leader does opposite. Sacrifices, taking the loss for the good of the organization and the people. Also, making the right decision even if it costs the leader. Uh, sometimes the right decision is painful. Sometimes the right decision... Um, is, uh, is not as we said earlier, not only not popular, but can bring negative results in the short term. A sacrificial leader is willing to walk through that difficulty. And ultimately, Jesus says that a sacrificial leader lays down his life for those under his responsibility. Now, this, of course, this is in certain circumstances. But Jesus, when James and John came and asked to be sat at Jesus' right and left hand, in authority, in, the, in the, uh, the new kingdom, Jesus asked them an interesting question. Are you able to drink from the cup that I will drink? And they immediately responded, Yes, we are able. And, uh, and it exposes something. Uh, sometimes we're eager to look to the end result, but we don't want to look at the path to get there. A sacrificial leader sees that path and weighs the price, weighs the cost. And for the good of the people, for the glory of God, is willing to walk that cost. And as Jesus did, even in the garden, but hours before he was arrested, praying three times, Lord, let this cup pass from me. That, that cup that he said to James and John, will you drink it? And that he asked to be passed from him. That was the cup of the wrath of God that would be poured out on Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And, and Jesus submitted and drank of the cup of the wrath of God, sparing us by his death, bringing us victory by his resurrection. And so as we think about leadership, I want to I try to bring it home to us. I want us to, to first of all, be grateful uh, for the leaders that God has blessed our church with and the ways that, uh, that we benefit. But also let's, let's think about ways we can grow. And so let's, let's look to next steps. First of all, next step, pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders in the church. Pray for your leaders in your workplace, in our government, in the world. Uh, we need godly leaders at every level of our lives. Uh, that, and that's a very biblical thing to do as well. Pray for your leaders. Second, if you've been hurt by leaders in the past, and many of us have, if there are scars, if there are barriers that prevent you from following godly leaders, pray for, seek healing and closure. Uh, because without the healing and moving past that, those leadership hurts and the scars, they can sidetrack your own growth. They can sidetrack uh, the, the, the ways that God wants to lead you through leaders into what's next for you. Uh, third, let's ask ourselves, who am I following? In, really in all areas of our lives, but, but saying, what influences are leaders having on me? And, and uh, for some of us, that might be people we follow from a distance, people we don't even know. I mean, we literally call on social media that we are following people when we click on follow their profile or whatever. But we are letting them influence us. Who is influencing us and, and what changes do we need to make so that we are leading, we're following people who lead us to godly and healthy results? Second, or the the next question to ask is who am I leading? Who look behind you? Who is a step or two behind you that you are leading in uh, in discipleship and growth toward Christ-likeness? And maybe there's nobody there. And I would say, pray, ask God to reveal to you someone who's just one or two steps behind you that you can just lovingly say, follow me while, while I follow Jesus. That is the heart of discipleship. And Paul said it to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. Very simple. Finally, some of us know that we're leaders. Some of us have leadership either in our uh, kind of our personality or our job or Uh, Just naturally we are leaders. And so we need to pursue growth as a leader. We want to be more Christ-like in leadership. And so, uh, of course, imitate and learn from Christ, but find a mentor. Find someone who is closer to where you want to be and ask them to invest in you. Uh, And then uh, another option is uh, join a group or start a group of like-minded, godly leaders and say, let's sharpen each other. Let's, Let's spend time investing and learning and growing together. These are ways we can be more faithful as leaders like Christ. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what, uh, what a beautiful picture that Christ gives us of what leadership is. And we fall so short of living up to that standard. I want to uh, just ask your grace and your blessing on us that, Lord, you would stretch us in our understanding of leadership. You would empower us to see that we can have influence. Even those of us that seem uh, the, the most reluctant, we can still have influence on those around us for their good and for your glory. I pray that you would shape us and grow us. And I do pray for those who have been hurt by ungodly leaders. I pray for your healing in their lives, for, their, for a strong sense of grace and uh, a new day where they can begin to allow influence on their lives to lead them to a new area of growth. And now, Lord, as we turn to your table, would you prepare our hearts to uh, fully gaze upon the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.